0: Good morning, faith family. If you have a Bible, would you turn to Mark chapter one? Mark chapter one is going to be our passage for today. We're continuing uh, this morning in a series we've been in now several weeks. Uh, We've called All Sides of the Savior. Uh, We've been looking at the the person of Jesus, the humanity of Jesus in the Gospels. Uh, Remember, our goal in all of this was that as we study the person of Jesus, our relationship with him will become more personal. And so we've been looking at all these different sides of Jesus, things like he was completely human got righteously angry, uh, was extravagantly generous, was authentically tempted, was fearlessly honest, was totally surrendered. All these different aspects of the humanity of Jesus. This morning, uh, what I want to do is I want uh, to talk about one, and it's going to take me a couple of hours to kind of unpack, so I, I hope you don't have any plans this afternoon. Uh, last service, we got all the time in the world, Amen. That's what I thought, okay? I wanna talk about the idea that Jesus in his humanity was intimately present. Intimately present. And typically, if you've been uh, a Brian for some time, you know that I, I usually just stay in one passage for the most part. But this morning, I wanna give a little bit of an overview, and I'm just gonna read one verse. Uh, I'm setting this up because I don't want you to think one verse means short sermon, okay? One verse that really lays out the theme of what I want us to wrap our minds around and understand about our Savior this morning. Mark chapter 1 and verse 35, if you are able to stand, would you please do so as a way of honoring the reading of God's Word. Mark chapter 1 and verse 35, this is really going to be kind of the theme uh, this morning. It says this, rising very early in the morning while it was still dark, Jesus departed and went out to a desolate place and there he prayed. Will you pray with me and for me as we ask God to come and speak to us through his word? Let's pray. God, thank you for this time to be together. I really believe that this morning's message is a wake-up call. I know it is in my life. I trust it will be for many of us. Give us focus this morning on Jesus, that we see his life and how he lived, and that it would impact our life and how we live. All to your glory, we pray, God, in Jesus' name. And God's people said, amen. Amen, Amen. you may be seated. A 63-year-old woman sat in a chair in the middle of a large room. In front of her was a, a, a very plain desk, and there was nothing on it. On the other side of the desk was an empty chair, and she would sit here, and she would put her head down, and she would close her eyes. She Stayed that way for several moments. In walked a young man into the room, and he sat down in the empty chair. He, he was visibly nervous. His, his hands were shaking. He was bouncing his legs. He, he'd look at the floor, back up at the ceiling, and look around. It was very obvious that he was nervous. After a few moments, she raised her head, opened her eyes, and for the next four minutes, though it felt like a forever, stared into his eyes. No words were spoken. They just looked at each other. His body froze. All that nervous energy was gone. Tears began to stream down his face and hers... As well. And after a few moments, he smiled as if to say thank you. And he walked out of the room. That exchange, or at least an exchange very similar to that, took place with that same woman and over 1,500 people. Over a total of 700 hours. Over a timeline from the middle of March to the end of May, all in the Museum of Modern Art in New York City, it was an event entitled, The Artist is Present, and the whole idea behind the event was to stage a live protest against the lack of human connection that takes place in our society. It was to create a place where uh, no matter who you were or or, or what your background was, you could come to a place and actually have human contact. And the response to this event was overwhelming. As you see in that video, the word of this event spread throughout New York City, a, a city known for its crowded loneliness. The response was so overwhelming because the idea that there was a place that no matter who you were, how old you were, how you looked, you could actually go and be present with someone. It moved people to tears. Some people even got tattoos to remember the moment by. Some said they had epiphanies. Some said they regained hope. Listen, some said, and I quote, it was the first time I felt human. You see, that experiment actually revealed something about human beings. Listen to me, faith family. We were created for presence. We were created for presence, and we were created to be present. And you and I know that in our culture, in our life, we are constantly pulled away from being present. Technology, for all of its many good, has created an illusion of presence when most of the time we're anything but. There's always a screen to click and updates to check and tweets to send and schedules to keep and images to maintain. Our life, if we would stop and take inventory, is filled with siren calls, beckoning our attention and distracting our focus. And the result of it is we lose a sense of real presence. We take pictures of sunsets that we don't stop to enjoy. We have lots of friends that we don't actually know. We're at home thinking about work, and we're at work thinking about home. We're texting when we ought to be driving. We replace real spouses with pornographic images. We are obsessed with the green grass of the future to the neglect of the fields of the present. And sadly, it usually takes a crisis in life to wake us up. The loss of a loved one. The end of a relationship, a health crisis. To, to wake us up to the reality that most of the time we're living on Autopilot. And we've lost the sense of of real presence in life. There are many applications to this that we could talk about this morning. We could talk about presence in family. We could talk about presence at church. But I want to talk about the most important one of all. Faith family, here's the question I have for us. How often in the fast flowing current of your life are you just present with God? I don't mean that you sit at the table and gaze into the face of another human being. Oh, that's important. That's significant. We, we could actually preach a sermon on that. What I'm asking is, are there times in your life where you stop and gaze on the beauty of God? Where you stop and think about the glory of God, where you stop and meditate on the truth of God, where you are actually present with God? One author says this, and I think it really gets to the heart of what we're going to see in God's Word today. He writes, In the digital age, it may be the case that the classical debates about the presence of Jesus in the sacraments have been inverted. That is, the question is no longer in what way is the Lord present at the supper. The real question is in what ways are we? This intentional presence, this consistent pursuit of communion with God is a side of the Savior we see throughout the Gospels. Look at verse 35 again in Mark 1 that we just read. Rising very early in the morning while it was still dark, Jesus departed and went outside to a desolate place and there he Parade. Now, the question that I want us to ask this morning uh, when we look at these different verses is what's the context? So just let's practice this. Everybody say it on three. What's the context? One, two, three. What's the context? Okay. Half of you participated. You, you'll warm up. Okay. We want to know what's the context of this occasion. So to get the context of verse 35, let's go back to verse 32. That evening at sundown, they brought to Jesus all who were sick and oppressed by demons. And the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. And then it's after that that rising early in the morning, Jesus becomes isolated. Now, did you catch all that in those verses? The Bible says that Jesus was up late the night before. Has work ever taken you into the night? Not only that, the the text actually says that everybody in the town was at his doorstep. There's a lot of needs. There's a lot of issues. Add to that the fact that Jesus is engaging in spiritual warfare. He is casting out demons. Now, we tend to think that Jesus does this, like, effortlessly. You know, he's just like, demon out, demon out. Somebody go get me a latte at Starbucks. Uh, Demon out, demon out. just kind of just casually, ho-hum, cast... Might I remind you that spiritual warfare is exhausting? You remember how Jesus was in the wilderness when he was tempted? I assure you fighting demons is more exhausting than mowing grass. I get just a taste of this by preaching four weekend services. And this is what I look like on Sunday afternoon after I get done preaching four services. Spiritual warfare is exhausting. And remember that Jesus is doing this in his humanity. Come here close. I've been telling you throughout this series that Jesus is not doing this in his divinity. He's fully God, eternally God. But Philippians 2 says he doesn't take advantage of the fact that he is divine. He's doing this in his humanity. What he's showing us is he's the ultimate Adam, the ultimate human, that he's the one like Adam had in the beginning that has dominion over creation. What's the point? Listen. Jesus had a long night. The demands are endless. They're lined up at the door. The tank is likely empty because of spiritual warfare. And yet, come here, faith family, the number one priority when his eyes opened the next morning was not to send a tweet, not to check an email. It was to be present with the Father. And all the busyness of life and all the exhaustion What mattered most when his eyes opened was presence. Are you busy? Be honest. The calendar's full, the demands are endless, the issues are piled up at your doorstep, but how many of you have let, how many of us have let the busyness of life actually pull us away from the presence of God rather than to drive us to the presence of God? I love what Martin Luther says. It's one of my favorite Luther quotes. He says this, I have so much to do, I shall spend the first three hours in prayer. Now that sounds like a contradiction, doesn't it? I've got so much to do, I'm going to spend three... What got so much to do, you don't have time to pray. And Luther's saying the exact opposite. I've got so much to do, I have to be present with God. The Point Faith family noticed it on the screen. If you are busy and tired today, all the more reason to withdraw and pray. Somebody say amen. Come to the table and be present with God. Behold His beauty. Think on His glory. Meditate on His truth. Would you come to the table and be present with the Father? busyness. It's not the only occasion in which Jesus pursues intimate presence with the Father. Here's another. Jot this down in your notes if you're taking notes. Matthew 1413. Matthew 1413. Now when Jesus heard this, heard what? We'll talk about that in a minute. He withdrew, same language, from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. Now, what's the question that we're asking? Three of you remember. Wonderful. What's the context? And here's why I want you to be asking that question, because what I want to know is, is this the same event that gets recorded, or is this a different occasion in the life of Jesus? What's the context? Well, here's the context. Go back to verse 6. Of Matthew 14. What did Jesus hear that made him withdraw? Here it is. But when Herod's birthday came, the daughter of Herodias danced before the company and pleased Herod, so that he promised with an oath to give her whatever she might ask. Prompted by her mother, she said, give me the head of John the Baptist here on a platter. And the king was sorry, but because of his oaths and his guests, he commanded it to be given he sent and had John beheaded in the prison. And his head was brought on a platter and given to the girl, and she brought it to her mother. And his disciples, Jesus' disciples, came and took the body and buried it. Now watch. And they went and told Jesus. So now we know what the, when he heard this, he withdrew. We know what the context is. That is, Jesus here is withdrawing. Jesus is pursuing the presence of the Father because he's grieving over the loss of a loved one, namely his cousin. And we might think, but wait a minute, this is Jesus. He's God after all. You'd think he'd be like, you know, I mean, his theology is more accurate than ours, right? That's a good place for an amen, but you missed it, okay? His theology is a lot more accurate than ours. You'd think that Jesus would just be like, no big deal. His head got cut off. I'll put it back on. Yeah, I mean, he could say that. He could do that. I mean, he's the resurrection and the life. And yet, do you remember Jesus' response when he heard of Lazarus' death? What did he do? He said, okay, time for magic show. No, he didn't do that. He, shortest verse in the Bible, wept. He grieved. His heart was broken. When Jesus here hears the death of John the Baptist, he's broken and grieving. Listen. Are you listening? His immediate reflex when his heart was grieving was presence with the Father. there are some of you here this morning and you have just gone through a loss in your life. You have lost a loved one to death. Some of you are losing a child to college. Maybe you've just recently lost a job and you are hurting. Please listen. If Jesus pursued the presence of the Father in his grief, how much more should we in ours? Oh, here's some good news this morning. You ready for some good news? Here's some good news. Notice it on the screen. If your heart needs healing, then make frequent appointments with the great physician. Amen? Three of you liked it. Okay, good, all right? I mean, we have a great physician, and his office is always open. Praise God. And you can make as many appointments as your heart needs until it is healed. In your grief today, would you come to the table? Would you come to the presence of the Father just as Jesus did in his grief? And would you meditate on his truth and behold his glory and think about his beauty and just be with him? Busyness. Grief. Were those the only occasions in which Jesus pursued intimate presence with the Father? No, here's another. Luke 6 verse 12. In these days, he went out to the mountain to pray and all night, all night, he continued in prayer to God. Now, what's the question we're asking? You're getting better. All right. What's the context? Because we want to know not, is this the same event recorded multiple times in the gospel or is this a different occasion? Well, here's the context. It's the next verse. By the way, it always helps to read the next verse. Amen, that's right, Luke 6, 13. And when day came, so this is after he's been up all night praying, he called his disciples and chose from them 12 whom he named apostles. In other words, this is clearly a different occasion. Jesus is now seeking solitude, presence with the Father, right before one of the biggest decisions he's going to make in ministry, namely, who will be the men that follow me? that do this ministry journey with me. And by the way, this is just me. I'm just speculating, so don't send me an email. Like, I wonder if in that conversation, Jesus was like, are we sure we're going to call Peter? (laughs) Like, really, Peter? Like, I wonder if in that conversation it was like, man, definitely not them. I I probably said that about me. I don't know, okay? But you just wonder what that conversation was. About. But the point is, Jesus, right before this major calling, is where? In the presence of the Father. Now think about this. Are you seeing the humanity of Jesus here? Jesus, I love this, who the Apostle Paul calls our wisdom, seeks wisdom. Wisdom. Jesus is practicing what the Bible commands us to do. James 1.5, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. Matthew 6.33, which is in the context of worry and anxiety. But seek what? Louder. But seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to the reflex of Jesus before the calling of the disciples was presence with the Father. Hudson Taylor, many of you will recognize that name, very famous missionary that worked in China, was exhausted in ministry. He, he, he went back to England. There was a, a major decision the weighing heavy on his heart. Uh, the decision was, does God want me to start a work in inland China. At that time in missions, most of the work was happening in the coastal region, and he really had a big decision, and he knew it was going to take people, and he knew it was going to take money, and he knew there was going to be danger, and so this this decision of, God, what is your will? What do you want me to do? Have you ever been there? And so he goes to visit friends, and rather than Enjoying the fellowship of good friends, he takes a walk by himself on the beach. He says that the ocean was peaceful, but his life was not. And I'm going to let Hudson tell you what happens. This is the thought the Lord gave him. He says, quote, If we are obeying the Lord, the responsibility rests on him, not with us. Thou, Lord, thou shalt have all the burden. I love that. I'm giving it to you at thy bidding as thy servant. I go forward leaving the results with thee. And then he says this. How restfully I turned away from the sands. The conflict ended and all was at peace. I felt as if I could fly up the hill to Mr. Pierce's house. And oh, how I did sleep that night. What happened? presence. He got alone. Struggling with one of the biggest decisions in his ministry. And God in his presence gave him peace. There are some of you here this morning and you are right smack dab in the middle of major decisions in your life. Are you going to marry her? What will you do vocationally? Are you going to make that financial purchase? Can I encourage you with the Bible this morning? Lean not on your own understanding. But acknowledge Him. Pursue Him. Go to Him. And He will make your paths straight or I'll say it this way if your life needs wisdom then make frequent appointments with the wonderful counselor amen oh his office is always open you have one called the wonderful counselor and you can go to him anytime how in the world do you think you're going to make wise decisions in life if you're never in the presence of wisdom how do you think you're ever going to make wise decisions in life if you're never in the presence of wisdom because wisdom is a person not a principle. Would you come to the table? Come to the table. Be present. With all of your distractions in life, be present with the Father. Busyness. Grief. Right before major decisions. I wonder if there are any other occasions in Jesus' life where he did this. There is. Luke 22, 41. Some of you are thinking, how many of these does he have? <laughs> he can't keep going on much longer. Well, there's actually seven, but I'm only going to give you four. Here's the fourth and final one I'll give you this morning. Luke 22:41. And he withdrew from them, same language, about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed. Same language that we've seen in all these other verses. And the question we're asking is what? Now you got it. What's the context and why are we asking that? Because we want to know, is this just a repeat repeat of of another same story or is this a different occasion? Well, let's look at the context, verse 42. Saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. Oh, underline that. Being in agony, he prayed more earnestly in his sweat. Became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. I'm not going to give you the, the play-by-play and details of Gethsemane. The reason is I did that two weeks ago and you remember every bit of it. Play along. But you remember in that message two weeks ago, that was our totally surrendered message. We talked about the fact that Jesus is struggling with the cup. Which represents the wrath of God. And he's asking, can there be a cross without a cup? But he surrenders and says, Not my will, it's your will that I'm here to do. My point for this morning is not to go back through the details of Gethsemane, it is simply to highlight this point. Are you listening, Faith Family? In the darkest night of the soul, in the moment of Jesus' deepest agony, he prayed more earnestly. That is, he sought presence with the Father. It reminds me of Psalm 42. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night. While they say to me all day long, where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God! For I shall again praise Him, my salvation. Deep calls out to deep at the roar of your waterfalls, all your breakers, your waves have gone over me. But by day the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night his song is with me. A prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forsaken me? Why do I go on mourning? Because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me while they say to me all day long, where is your God? Why are you cast down O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God. For I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. This, this psalmist. Like many in the Bible, like many in church history, a normal experience, not a weak, immature experience. A normal experience in the Christian life is the troubled soul. A feeling as though God is absent. God, where are you? It feels like you've forgotten me. I pray. I don't feel like I hear anything. I sing and I don't feel anything. I'm like a deer panting for water and I can't get a drop. And it's affected my soul. And add on top of that, the trials are constant. It's one thing after another. Wave after wave keeps crashing on my head, sinking me deeper and deeper down. And I just want to cry out enough, as the hymn says, when sorrows like sea billows roll and it affects my soul. And then you add to that all the insults. Oh, well, God must not care about you because look at your life. A good Christian would never have to go through something like that. And this taunting that I get affects my thinking. Maybe this didn't take. Maybe I'm not a Christian. Maybe you don't love me. And it's affected my soul. It is is a dark, dark hour. And yet the psalmist knows where to go. to the presence of God. God my rock. I'm longing for you, O oh God. The dark hour of the soul is not pulling me from you. The dark hour of the soul is drawing me to you. It's just like Jesus in the garden. Some of you here this morning you are in the dark hour of the soul. You're in deep Agony, and my encouragement to you this morning is this: pursue His presence until you no longer feel His absence. Pursue His presence till you no longer feel His absence. My 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 encouragement to you is: Will you come in? Will you sit down in this chair? And will you stay a while? It may be an hour, it may be a month, it may be a year. I don't know how long the season of that dark hour will be, but I do know this. He will break through the dark clouds. But it'll never happen until you're present. Busyness, grief, Just before a major decision in the darkest hour of Jesus' life. There are more, but you get the pattern, right? The reason, faith family, that I'm not just giving you one passage this morning is that I felt if I give you just one, you will assume it was an off event. What I hope you see now is that this was a consistent pattern in the life of our Savior, namely, he was constantly pursuing presence with the Father. What does it mean for us? What is, what is our takeaway? What are the things that we need to think about as we, as we close? Here's the first thing, and I've, I've been bringing you back to this week after week after week, because as, we as we look at the humanity of Jesus, we're discovering what it means to actually be human. I told you at the very beginning of this series it would be applicable to you because the last time I checked, most of you are humans. I have met a few of you, and I'm not sure, but most of you are humans. And so we're asking, if Jesus is the ultimate human, then what does it mean to be human? So here's the first application here. To be human is to be present with God. Why is Jesus doing this in his humanity? And the answer is because humanity was created to live in the presence of God. Is that not the opening chapters of Genesis? That God created humanity to be with him and him with them? Oh, look here, faith family, it is sin that took us away from this. It is sin that distracted this. It's sin that isolated this. This was the plan for humanity in the beginning to be present with God. And so my pastoral encouragement to you today is this. Calendars and iPhones and Netflix and emails may be wonderful human inventions, but they may actually be keeping you from being human. Are you thinking? These are wonderful human inventions, or they can be, but they may very well be keeping you from being human. Why? Because to the degree that you are not being intimately present with God, you are not being fully human. Because you were created for this and we know this to be true because for all of eternity what will you be human and you will always and forever be present with God this is the most human thing you can do is be with God secondly I do wish I'm not in a joking way, I wish I had more time here. Divine connection requires your utmost attention. Divine connection requires your utmost attention. My my, my my point here is that in a world of distractions, you're gonna have to really work hard at this. You're gonna have to give it your complete attention. My friend Tony Rinkey, he writes Attention is the skill of withdrawing from everything to focus on something. It's the opposite of the dizziness of the brain spectacle seeker who cannot attend to anything, and that's most of us. We're, we're, oh, look, a squirrel. Oh, did you hear that tweet? My cell phone just went off. We're just constantly bzz, 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 running around, focused on so many things, we don't pay attention to hardly anything, particularly the most important thing, which is being present with God. Gene Fleming writes, we live in a noisy, busy world. Silence and solitude seem to fit the era of Victorian lace, high-button shoes, and kerosene lamps, rather than an age of television, video games, and headphones. We have become a people with an aversion to quiet and an uneasiness with being alone. And I am telling you, faith family, that that is not an option for you. It's not an option. Charles Spurgeon writes, Permit not your minds to be easily distracted or you will have your devotion destroyed. That is worth reading again. Permit not your minds to be easily distracted or you will have your devotion destroyed. Tim Keller writes, Imagine you had a lethal condition that you would die from unless you took a specific medicine every night. You miss one night, you die. Would you forget? No, oh no, it would be the most crucial thing in your life and you would never miss, Keller then writes, well, if we don't pray to God, we're not going to make it. To the degree that this is not happening, we're not, we're not going to make it. We must pray. There's so much that we could talk about here. What, what do you do? When you're at the table, metaphorically speaking here, what do you do when you're at the table? Think on God's word, sing, write, pray. There's a host of things that we could talk about on what you do. We could talk about how do you do this? Do you take many retreats during the day, even if it's just a five or ten minute break? Uh, uh, do you have, listen, listen, do you have a detox from technology? What did he just Heresy from the pulpit. (laughs) Call the elders together. Out with this man. Take my iPhone away. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with your iPhone. It may just be keeping you from being human. And you may very well need to turn off and unplug for a while. So this can happen. Maybe we could talk about establishing a place. It appears as though Jesus had specific places that he would go to frequently. I I don't... My, my comfort here is knowing that there are lots of resources to help you with those questions. What do I do during this time? Uh, how do I do this on a daily, weekly, monthly, whatever, uh, rhythm in life? If you really want this, there are resources that will help you think through this. But what I am going to say before I move on to the last point of application is this. Listen, Faith Family, this is going to be really hard. It's going to be really hard. Do you know why it's going to be really hard? Number one is because of our culture. Our culture is all about doing. So you're going to sit down here and you're going to spend, let's just say, 30 minutes in the, just God's presence thinking on him. And then you're going to get up and you're going to say, what did I accomplish? Is there anything on my to-do list I can cross off? See, we're so focused on doing that we don't understand what it means to just be. And so our culture is going to make this hard to do. Secondly, sin is going to make this hard to do because sin wants to distract and isolate. Lastly, why this is going to be hard is because for some of you, this is going to be like learning a new language. You're going to sit here for five minutes and be like bored. Like there's no sounds or colors or, or, you know, something that's entertaining me. It's like dropping me off in China and just saying, try to communicate. And after like five seconds, I'm getting frustrated because I don't fully know how to communicate. But listen, please, 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 if you'll just give it time, it'll bear fruit. Just give it time. I was struck in Tim Keller's book on prayer. He he describes the fact that his prayer life didn't have a breakthrough until later in his life. And I'm like, Tim Keller? Tim Keller? I thought he came out of the womb praying eight hours a day. I mean, (laughs) and yet he said it took time to cultivate this in his life. But know this, divine connection is going to require your utmost attention. And you're going to have to crucify your Twitter account, your Facebook, your YouTube, your whatever it is. I don't know what it is in your life, but you may have to crucify those things to be present here's the last point of application is to apply the gospel is to pursue God's presence to apply the gospel is to pursue God's presence you say what do you mean here's here's my point the issue of being present with God is at the heart of the gospel because the fundamental work of Jesus was to create this reality Are you tracking with me? Jesus came to reconcile us to God. Sin, as I talked about a few moments ago, isolated us. And Jesus came, and in his coming, in the very work of what Jesus did, created this reality that was at the very heart of what he came to do. Uh, Think of it with me just very quickly. Number one, the Incarnation. God becomes flesh in the person of Jesus Christ, and the name given to him that we celebrate at Christmas is Emmanuel, and that name means, say it with me, God with us. The whole point of Jesus' coming was God is saying, I want to be with you, and I want you to be with me. I want us to be present. At the crucifixion, what's taking place? Jesus is being separated from the Father so that we can be eternally present with the Father. Notice this on the screen. We can be present with God because Jesus was abandoned by God on the cross. Today, you will be with me in paradise. And what about the resurrection? Do you remember the argument from the book of Hebrews? You better, we spent eight years in that book. It was the series right before this one, so it hasn't been that long ago. This was the argument in the book of Hebrews. We have a high priest who is alive. He's not like those Old Testament priests that died all the time. He's alive. He's risen. And do you know what that means? The veil is open. The office is always ready to make appointments. There is a new and living way by which you can draw near, so draw near. That's the argument of Hebrews. Because of the resurrection, because the tomb was open, so is the presence of God to you. Meaning, That a failure to pursue God's presence is a failure to apply the gospel. Don't tell me that we are a gospel-centered church if we are not a church that is in passionate pursuit of the presence of God. Because if we are not in passionate pursuit of the presence of God, we don't know a thing about the gospel. The very heart of the gospel is that we can enter in. I'll leave you with this. story about a very busy but successful businessman that came home one night. His seven-year-old son came up to him and said, Daddy, uh, how much money do you make an hour? The dad was a little put off by this. I mean, honestly, none of your business, son. But he realized that his son was serious, and he said, If you must know, I make $150 an hour. And the boy just ran out of the room. A little bit later, the, the little boy says, Dad, can I borrow $20? And the dad's frustrated. He's like, Did you just ask me how much money I make an hour so that you could bum money off me? But he realized that his son was serious and beginning to tear up. And he said, I'm sorry, that's not what I meant. Let me ask it a different way. Uh, what do you need the money for? And if you need the money for something good, then, then sure, I'll give you $20. And he said, Dad, over the last several months, I've been saving up my money, and I've got $130. $130, son, that's a lot of money. If you got $130, why do you need $20? And he said, because then I would have enough to buy an hour of your time. Faith family, are you... In a world of distractions, are you present? But more importantly than being present with family, today I'm asking you, are you, like your Savior, intimately present with the Father? Because the good news of the gospel is there is a chair for you. Because Jesus died for you. Will you sit down? Will you draw near? I promise you it will impact your life in ways you cannot even imagine. And for some of you, for the very first time, you'll know what it means to be human. And God's people said, Amen. will you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word to us this morning. I I do pray that it would uh, awaken us to the autopilot that is off in our lives. And while there are lots of applications to the idea of presence, there's no greater application than presence with you. In fact, to the degree that we're not present with you, we won't be present anywhere else. So I pray, I pray this morning that you would draw us near. That we would spiritually come to the table. Gaze upon your beauty. Think upon your glory. Meditate on your truth and just be still. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for showing us what humanity is ultimately about. Thank you for, by the pattern of presence in your life, we understand what it means to be human. So, Holy Spirit, now come and apply this word to our lives in a way that only you can. To the glory of Jesus, we pray. Amen.